All right. Hey, what inspires you? Oh, thank you. Let's just close in prayer right now. (laughs) Ah, thank you for that. Besides that, what inspires you? Family inspires you. That's cool. What else? Creation inspires you. Right on. Love inspires you. Good. Money? Well, wait, let's stop with money. That was good. No, never mind. Okay, you don't, want, you don't like that. The Bible inspires you. Okay, good. Friends, Jesus. I mean, he's got to be in there, right? It's church. Gotta, Jesus has to be the answer to some question in there, I think. So, all right. Hey, a lot of, lot of stuff inspires us, right? I, I'm, some of you ladies, you're thinking Hallmark movies. I mean, I don't know, like really love stories are inspiring to some of us. Um, Underdog stories are inspiring sometimes. Sometimes the way God has created things in this world, someone said creation inspires them. For me, sometimes the way God has created light inspires me. I mean, right? Don't you ever get inspired by a sunset? Yeah, I I love suns. This is one of my favorite sunsets, not this one exactly, this one that's coming is one of my favorite sunsets from Kauai. Or I love it when I get to see the moon rise. You like that? Like over Tahoe? That just makes me want to go back, like today. Um, sometimes even a street lamp can inspire you. Sometimes when a street lamp has a sunset behind it, that's inspiring, I think. Sometimes when, when you have a well-lighted grandson, that's inspiring. <laughs> You just tell me when you want me to stop doing that, and I'll stop. I promise. But people keep saying, you know, where's your grandson? So I'll, in, anyway, he's well lit right there. So last week we talked, about, we talked about a light bulb that had a filament that broke. If you were here with us, I think you probably remember that. And the problem with a light bulb when the filament breaks is the light only shines when the connection is whole. And we talked last weekend about the fact that that's how our lives are as well. The light only shines when our connections are whole. And it's so easy for our connections to get broken. And when our connections get broken, the light doesn't shine anymore. The light only shines when the connection is whole. And connections are the light of life. Our connections with God, our connections with one another, those things are the light of life. And and we feel it all the time. We see it all the time. And all the connections we have and all the relationships we have... We sense that kind of thing. Connections are the light of life, and that's part of why light inspires us because it reminds us that sometimes we get connected together with others and it becomes a beautiful, inspiring thing. We're talking these days about what we call the well-crafted life. We think there's something about being a follower of Jesus where he invites us into what we call a well-crafted life. Life. And there's a lot of people that might craft their life and try, might work in their life. Self-help books are really popular so people can help themselves or whatever. But there's something about a well-crafted life when it represents a follower of Jesus. And Jesus lived a well-crafted life and then he invited people around him to join him in that well-crafted life. And so that's part of what we believe following Jesus looks like. We believe there's five crafts that Jesus wants to engage in in our lives, and he wants us to develop these in our lives. The five crafts include scripture and prayer and generosity and service and connection. And this month we're talking about connection. 
We're talking about how do we build a well-crafted life around the connections that we have both with God and with others. Now, we're going to talk about Scripture later on. We're going to talk about prayer later on this, this winter. And we're going to talk a lot about connecting with God during those series. But right now, we're talking about connection, and we're talking primarily about our connections with one another. How do we connect with one another, and how do we build these connections that become the light of life for us? Imagine if Jesus, who came into this world as the Messiah, and if you're just investigating who Jesus is, you may not know this, but Jesus actually came in to fulfill the promises of the Jewish Messiah. And so he came into this world, and his goal was to be connected. Wouldn't it be weird if Jesus came into the world, went to all that trouble to leave heaven, come to earth, then came into the world, and then stayed distant from everybody? Like if he just, you know, sat on a throne in a room all by himself and said, don't come close, I'm, I'm the Messiah, back up. Wouldn't that be weird? Because if you know anything of the story about Jesus, you know that he came to connect with us. It's why he came. So I find it weird then that sometimes we as followers of Jesus, we want to back up from the world. We want to sort of get disconnected from the world. There, there are some... Uh, ancient Christ followers. Church has been around for 2,000 years. People have been following Jesus for 2,000 years. There's a story of some ancient Christ followers. They lived around 300 A.D., about 300 years after Jesus' uh, life on, on earth and uh, after his resurrection. And uh, the, the church in that generation, Christianity in that generation, was beginning to be accepted in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was becoming the authorized faith of the Roman Empire. And so persecution of Christians was diminishing. And yet the distractions for Christians in their lives were going up because without the persecution, like, oh, I can do this, and I can live in my society, and I can be comfortable, and I don't have to worry about things. And so there was these certain Christ followers who, who said, you know, it's not hard enough to live in this world anymore. And there's too, there's too many distractions to live a holy life. And so some of them said, we're going to go build monasteries like out in the desert. We're going to get away from people. We're going to get away from all this stuff that distracts us from God. And we're going to go out and build these places to live just in the desert. And they disconnected. It's so weird. They wanted to be followers of the Messiah, but they disconnected from his world. We now know these, these ancient Christ followers as the desert fathers. And there were some uh, convents among them too, so some of the desert mothers. And they went out there. And sometimes they got out in the desert and they're like, oh, this is not far enough away. I'm like, where are you going to go if the desert's not far enough away? So some of them built pillars, like 20-foot tall pillars, and they built a little platform on top of this pillar, and they lived, some of them, for 20 years on top of a post in the wilderness just so they wouldn't be too connected to other people, which is weird to me. It's so far removed from the pattern of life that Jesus lived and the pattern of life that Jesus called us into. Connections are the light of life. And the light only shines when the connections are whole. Jesus lived a connected life. All the way through the scriptures, when you see his story, you find out that he was living a connected life. In the early days of his ministry, he was surrounded by crowds of people. Every time he taught, people would come from miles around just to be with him because he was this great teacher like, oh, I can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say. And every time he healed people, people like crowded around him because like, look at that, he healed that guy. Or when he would cast out demons, that was pretty exciting. It was like, whoa, that, you know, that's a, that'd be like a good movie. And so they're like casting out demons and people come from miles around to be with Jesus. 
When he would forgive sins, people would crowd around him because they never heard anybody who actually forgave sins before. So weird to them. And so in the early days of Jesus' ministry, he was surrounded by crowds a lot. Sometimes it got so crowded for him that he would say, i got to get out of here. i got to get some quiet time with my father. And he would get up early in the morning before everybody else got up. He'd go out to a, a lonely place, the scripture says, and he would just hang out and spend time with his father in heaven. And there's a place for that. But to live a life that is separated from everybody on earth doesn't fulfill the calling that Jesus gives to us. It doesn't match his life that he lived for us. He was all about connection. He crafted a life of connection. Now, there are stories in the scripture that I want you to hear today about what Jesus looked like when he, and what he sounded like when he uh, invited us into this well-crafted life. There's a story found in Mark chapter, three, Mark chapter 3, excuse me, that I want you to see. So if you have your Bible, why don't you pull it out and turn to Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the row near you. You can use one of those. You can have that if you don't have a Bible. Uh, if you want to use your smartphone, you can do that. Go to the Version Bible app and you can uh, find the event uh, called Lakeside Church with today's date on it. You can look at, look at that if you want or you can just listen. Okay, Mark chapter 3. Starting at verse 13, here's the story. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. That's a fascinating little story to me, and I want to just highlight some of the things that happened in the story. First thing that I see in that story is Jesus called the ones he wanted. There are people in this world that Jesus wanted. And I, it does, I don't know where you are in your journey with Christ and what you know about him, what you think about him. Some of you, when I, go, when I go, Jesus wants you, you go, well, why wouldn't he? Okay, maybe there's only one or two of us like that, but, you know, but that's uh, some of you. If I go, Jesus wants you, some of you go, well, of course he does. Not because you think you're that great, but because you think he's that great. And you know his story and you know his mission. You go, of course he wants me because he wants all of us. And some of you, if I say Jesus wants you, you go, no, he doesn't. He, he, he doesn't he, there's no way he wants me. Because I, I know what's in here in me. And I know what's in here in me. And I know what these hands have done in this world. There's no way that Jesus wants me. But the truth is, he does want you. And he comes in this story, goes up on a mountain, and it says he called to himself those he wanted. Now, in this case, he's talking about some very specific people, and he names them off. In, the, in other parts of the scripture, you'll find out, yes, he, he wants all of us. He invites all of us. He calls all of us. But here's a place where he goes, I want these. And what he's doing is he's making an investment in these 12 men. He called them disciples. He says, I, I want you because I'm going to live my life intentionally pouring into you, investing into your life. 
And you find out from this part of the story that a well-crafted life is intentional. I want you to live a well-crafted life. I I want that for you. I want that for me. I want to live a well-crafted life. But a well-crafted life is always intentional. You don't fall into a well-crafted life by accident. It's intentional. And here's Jesus, and he calls these 12. He says, I want you to be with me. He's intentional about what he's doing. That's that's part of a well-crafted life. And you know that connections, relationships that are established and maintained and built intentionally can be inspiring. Right? Haven't you seen a marriage that's maybe a 30-year marriage or a 40-year marriage? And you look at these people and like, man, they've invested so well in one another. They care so much for one another. They are so dialed into one another. And it's inspiring. Like, I wish my marriage would be like that or I wish my relationships were like that. Well, they can be. It's it, it comes from being intentional in our connections. And Jesus was very intentional in the life that he lived. So he called those he wanted. And then the next thing you find out in this story is Jesus appointed them to be with him. I love that statement. That's almost an emotional statement for me. He says, I want you to be with me. Sometimes people look at the Christian life and they go, the Christian life is all about a list, two lists, two lists, actually one list of everything you're supposed to do and the other list of everything you're not supposed to do, which is a longer list if you listen to some folks. It, we think it's all about what I do and what I don't do and what you don't realize sometimes is that the Christian life is really not about what you do at all. It's not about what you do. It's about who you're with. It's about who you're with, or maybe grammatically whom you're with. I don't really know, but it's about being with somebody (laughs) named Jesus. He called them and he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. With Jesus. See, the well-crafted life is relational. It's about a relationship with Jesus. You'll hear people talking about their relationship with Jesus. The well-crafted life is relational. It's about a relationship with Jesus, and it's about a relationship with other people. But it's always relational. It's never isolated. It's never in the desert. Now, the desert fathers, they, they wrote some good things. Some good things probably happened from what happened out there. I'm not really sure. But, I, but it's not the life that Jesus calls us to because it gets disconnected from relationships. And here's these 12 guys that Jesus calls out to be with them. And they did stuff together. Jesus didn't just go to church with them and be there for an hour on, on like Saturday morning for them in the synagogue or for us on Sunday or whatever. He didn't just go, hey, let's spend an hour together. They were together. They, they went on outings together. Matthew chapter 16 tells the story of a, of a lake outing that the disciples went on with Jesus. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to go on like Folsom Lake with Jesus? Like you would today because it actually is a lake today. It's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful, you know. What would it be like to be on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in a boat? That's what these guys did. They just were with him. That same chapter, it says they went on a road trip together. Road trips are awesome. I think. I love them. I, I love road trips. I, I don't like road trips by myself. That's not a road trip. That's just torture. 
bad company or whatever. But road trips with other people. When I take my annual trip to spring training in Arizona, and I go across the desert with my brothers in the car, and it's just about being together. That's relational. A well-crafted life is relational with Jesus and with others. And it's not just the disciples. It's not just these 12 that got to be with Jesus. Other people got to be with Jesus. There is a story in Luke chapter 8 where it describes a bunch of women who also got in on this deal. So sometimes ladies go, hey, how come there's only men disciples? Well, there were women disciples as well. And in Luke chapter 8, he actually describes some of them. One, one of these ladies who was a follower of Jesus, she was connected to Jesus she actually had been demonized at an earlier part of her life. And Jesus came along and cast these demons out of this woman. And she hung out with Jesus and the other disciples. Her name was Mary Magdalene. You know about her. You know about her story a little bit. Why? Because she was connected to Jesus. Another one of the women who hung out with Jesus and traveled around, did these road trips with him and with his disciples, was a woman whose husband was one of the primary ministers to King Herod, one of the primary advisors to King Herod. She's married to that guy. She's a political insider, but she's hanging out with the king of kings because she had a relationship with him. There was another woman in their group who had a lot of resources, unusual for a woman in that generation, but she had a lot of resources, and she was helping to fund the trips that these guys would go on together while they were learning what it was like to be with Jesus. A well-crafted life is intentional. A well-crafted life is relational. And then there's a third highlight that comes in this story. It says, Jesus appointed these to multiply his mission. It says he appointed them to preach and to cast out demons. And if I say, that's what Jesus wants you to do, some of you go, ooh, ooh, give me the cast out demon gift. I want that one. That would be amazing. That would be head spinning. That would just be awesome. And some of you go, yeah, but don't give me that gift of preaching thing. Some of you would rather face down demons than ever stand in front of a group and talk. And some of you go, I, I, I can't do those things. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, you have to preach and you have to cast out demons. I, I'm, I'm not down for that. I can't do that. I don't know how many people tell me, it's like, I can't really be a great, a great Christ follower because I can't talk in front of people like you do. As if this is what the Christian life is. Like, I can't really be a great follower of Jesus because I can't play the drums and I can't play the guitar and I can't sing. As if that's what the Christian life is. Or, you know, I, I can't be a great Christ follower because I can't do children's ministry because they scare me. As if that's what the Christian life is. Jesus, Jesus called these people to multiply his mission. And yet, if you looked at those people, you would say, none of those guys are world changers. None of those guys are mission multipliers. They got to be, but they didn't start that way. I mean, take, take the list of the people that Jesus called to be with him. It starts with a guy named Simon. Jesus renamed him Peter, which is a name that means little rock, kind of like, like pebbles. Like, really? You got pebbles to be your chief spokesman? You're like, no, 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 he became the Pope. Yeah, but that was after the Spirit of God came in him. Not when he was at first called. When he was first called, he had his foot in his mouth, and he kept it there. 
He couldn't preach. His mouth was full. And the next two guys on the list, James, and he had a brother named John. You know those guys? The Bible says they were, they were sons of a man named Zebedee, but that's not what Jesus called them. He didn't go around calling them James and John. He called them Boanerges. Did you catch that in the story? Boanerges. You know what that means? Sons of thunder. And you know, you know why they were called sons of thunder? Because they loved NASCAR. <laughs> oh, no, that was, that's not those guys. No. You know why they were called sons of thunder? Because they had this, they read the stories in the Old Testament about like Elijah and Elisha and how they called fire down from heaven. So every time, you know, John or James, they saw somebody out there who wasn't really, you know, all gung-ho for Jesus. They're like, Jesus, shall we call fire from heaven down right now? And those guys All the time, Jesus, fire from heaven right now. Jesus goes, sons of thunder, what is up with you guys? And go through the list. There's not a world changer among them. There's this guy named Judas. He was a thief long before he was a traitor. And there's this other guy named Matthew. Everybody hated him. They hated him. Because he was a tax collector. Any tax collectors? Here? I mean, I, I don't want to be rude or unkind or anything if you're here, you know. I'm like, anybody, anybody work for the Franchise Tax Board? Don't, don't be shy. <laughs> you're not going to say. This guy, Matthew, he worked for the Franchise Tax Board of Rome. The only problem was his office was in Israel, and he was taking the money from people of Israel and sending it back to the government in Rome. People hated him. And Jesus called him and said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to be on my team. I want you to be with me. I want to commission you to be a world changer. Really? Matthew? Now let's, let's hear a little bit of his story because we learned some great things about Jesus' strategy from this story. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Let me, let me read this one for you. Again, you can look this one up, Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, Hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus goes along and he sees a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let's just stop for a second. Let's call him Matt. I mean, right, because Matthew sounds all holy and disciple-ish. Let's just call him Matt, because that sounds like one of us. He was just one of us, except we all hated him. We hated Matt the taxer, because he's taking our money and giving it to the occupying army that's, that's living and existing among us. Really, Jesus, you're going you're gonna to go to that guy's house, Matt the taxer? Jesus goes, goes up to Matt and he goes, hey, Matt, follow me. And the next scene you see in the story is 
Jesus at Matt's house. How'd that happen? I thought, I thought Matt was following Jesus. How'd they get to Matt's house? Jesus followed Matt. He goes, Matt, follow me. And all of a sudden, they're eating lunch at Matt's house. Jesus, Jesus followed him. That's fascinating. Why? Because Jesus wanted to be with him. So they went together. Now they're at Matt's house, and they're having dinner together. But it's not just Jesus and Matt that are having dinner. There's a whole bunch of people in the house. Who, did you see that part in the story? Who else is in the house with Matt and Jesus? Yeah, tax collectors and sinners. Do you know when the Bible uses the word sinners, Jesus never uses that to address somebody? It's always a description used by religious types to describe somebody else. In this case, there were taxers. They said there were taxers and sinners having lunch with Matt and Jesus. And the religious dudes were not all that keen on that. They go to Jesus' disciples. They don't want to go to Jesus straight up. They go to the disciples, kind of get the backdoor treatment. They go, hey, why does he eat with the taxers and sinners? And Jesus overhears it. So he says, hey, I came to call the sick, not the righteous. If you're all that, you don't need me. But if you're sick, you need a doctor. I'm here. Now, in the conversation with Matt and Jesus and all that goes on at his house, you see the strategy of Jesus. You see what it looks like to live a well-crafted life. See, a well-crafted life is intentional. How intentional are you being in your life with Christ? I mean, do you just go with the wind? Do you just go with the waves wherever they take you? Or are you being intentional in your life with Christ? Well-crafted life is intentional. A well-crafted life is relational. It's about connection. And a well-crafted life is reproducible. In other words, what, what Jesus is doing in your life, he wants you to build in the lives of others. It's not just about you. It's about what he wants to do in the lives of others through you. He wants to reproduce through you his love in the lives of others. And here's the story of Matt. And here's the example of one whom Jesus wants to reproduce his life into the faith lives of others. Jesus gets there, and he and Matt have lunch together, right? And then there's these other people in the house, other tax collectors and sinners. Now, we have a word for that here at Lakeside. We have a word for those people that are having lunch with Jesus and Matt that day. You know the word? Oikos. We call it oikos. Now, if you're new with us, you're like, what's, the, what's an oikos? It's a Greek word. It means house. And it's fascinating. It says Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. That's just literally straight up the word oikos. They were having dinner at Matt's house. But there's other people there too. And what, what's that? That's his household. That's his network. That's his group. How do all these other taxers and sinners get to show up? Why? Well, because they were at his house. Because they're part of his house. They're part of his oikos. Even a homeless person has an oikos. Because they're all connected to somebody. We're all connected to somebody. And Jesus showed up his strategy through Matt's party at his house. Because all the other people that were part of his house came. Because he was connected.
with our oikos, there's some strategies that we use as a church to try and help us live this out so that we live an intentional life. We live a relational life. We live a reproducible life. And part of, the, part of the process of getting there is simply writing down the names of the people that are in your oikos. And sometimes you go, well, I know who they are. Yeah, have you written them down? Might be surprising. Here, I want to help you out today. I keep my, I keep my oikos list on my phone. I keep, my, I keep it on my phone on my Evernote app because that works for me. And if you want to do that, get a phone, get the app. You can do that, you know. But if that's not where you are today, reach forward to the chair right in front of you. There's a pocket with a card in it, not the Connect card which you filled out earlier. That's a different card. Go ahead. If you're in the front row, ask the person behind you nicely. Would you give me one of those cards, please? I'm going to wait. Yeah, grab one of the cards, put it in your hand, give somebody else one who doesn't have one. And here's how this card works. This is called My Oikos. On the front side, there's 15 numbers. Because we believe everybody, everybody lives in the midst of a group, an Oikos, where there's maybe 8 to 15 people that God has put on the front row of your life. And he's saying, I want you to love them and serve them and care for them in the name of Jesus. All of us who are Christ followers have that. Now, you may have never thought about it. You never, maybe have never written it down. I want you to write it down. I want you to write the names of all those people that are on the front row of your life. I want you to write down the names of the people that if Jesus said, hey, I want to come to your house for dinner today, who would you invite? Except don't go, oh, I'd invite all my Christian friends. They already get Jesus to come over. It's all the other people that you'd like to meet Jesus. It's all the other people that you think would be really offensive to Jesus. Those are the ones. The ones you go, you know, Jesus wouldn't like them. If you think that way, you're just one of those religious dudes. He loves them. Invite those people. Write them down on your list, 1 through 15. As many as you got, if you need two cards, you know, get another card. That's cool. On the back of that card are instructions on what do you do with it. Once you've got an oikos, your oikos listed on your card, what do you do with it? Well, make sure you keep it updated. Because sometimes God shakes up the people that are in your life. Isn't that how it happens? I mean, people move away. People get a different job. Different things happen. And so all of a sudden... They're not in your oikos anymore. That's all right. God, God shakes those up. Why? Because he wants you to keep reaching out to more people and loving them and being intentional and relational and reproducible in their life. And so write a list, your list, keep it current, and then pray for the people on that list every single day. Every day. Some people have told me, my friends wouldn't like it if they thought I was targeting them. Like, you're not targeting them. You're praying for them. Maybe with your oikos, maybe even it would be great if you just went to your friends, some of them, you said, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm a praying kind of person. Would you mind if I prayed for you? Who says no to that? I mean, you might have an atheist or two in your crowd of friends or something. You might have one or two that go, well, I don't even believe in God. I don't want you praying for me. Like it's going to hurt. You know, most people, even if they don't believe in God or if they don't think about Him very often or anything, if you, if you were to say to them, could, you don't have to ask them, how can I pray for you? That might, that might overwhelm them. But, you know, if you just go, could I pray for you? I bet everybody in your list would say, thank you. Sure. 
I don't know what you're going to say, but you can pray for me. Wouldn't that be amazing if you wrote down all those people and you kept it current and then you just prayed for them every day? Don't you think God would open up opportunities for you to be intentionally connected to them? Don't you think God would open up opportunities for you to build your relationship with them? Don't you think that God would open up opportunities for you to reproduce the life of Jesus into their life? If you were praying for them every day. And as you're praying for them every day, every time you get an opportunity, invite them to come to some place where they're going to be able to be with Jesus at a party or at church or at the Alpha Course or in a grow group or wherever it is or over to your house for dinner with all your other sinners and taxers that are in your group along with you. What would happen? See, I'm not sure Jesus is asking us to change the whole world. But I'm absolutely certain that he's asking us to change our world. He's asking us to live a well-crafted life that is intentional in its connections, that is relational in its connections, that is reproducible in its connections so that more and more people are learning to love and follow Jesus. I know that's what he wants. Same thing he wanted for those first disciples who he said, I want you to be with me. And I want you to change your world. That's what he wants. That's a well-crafted life. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you love us. It's pretty remarkable, Lord, that we, we know our own lives. I know my own life. I know how far I can be from lovable. I know how far I can be from being attractive. I know. And yet you love me. And Lord, for my friends here around the room, you love them. And, and they know the stuff in their life that might make them think that it keeps you away from them. But we know that you love us. And we know that you love those people that are in our household, in our network, in our oikos. So would you help us to pass that along, to reproduce that love into their lives, to share it in their lives, to do something amazing in their lives through us? Would you do that, Lord? We yield ourselves to you for that purpose. We yield ourselves to you for your purpose through us today. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen.